Infant Adoption Guide Podcast, episode number nine, an interview with Jody Dyer, author of the book, The Eye of Adoption. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Infant Adoption Guide Podcast. My name is Tim Elder, and this is the podcast that is all about domestic infant adoption. You see, I'm an adoptive daddy two times, and it says my wife and I were blessed to adopt uh, as newborns, and I love adoption. And my goal for the podcast is to help you shorten the time, decrease the cost of your adoption journey to make it less stressful for you to reach your dreams of becoming parents. I mean, that's really what this is all about, and that's what we were about, um, or we still are about, because we're uh, in, the, in, in the adoption phases ourselves. We've adopted two, and we want to adopt one more at least, so... It's uh, an ongoing process for us, too, so I'm here to uh, on the journey with you. Um, today is a really cool interview with Jody Dyer. She is the author of the book, The Eye of Adoption. It's her adoption story, her and her husband. And um, I want to get into that in just a minute, but first of all, I wanted to, to direct you to a recent post that I had on the site, infantadoptionguide.com, where I shared a bit of my adoption story. I talked about how my wife and I spent hours, days, weeks researching adoption when we first started. And so I've been working on some special projects for you that will help eliminate some of that time that we've spent that that potentially could shave off weeks, days of research uh, to help you get started or, or complete your adoption journey. So I have a special link on the site that I'd like you to uh, go to and just take a quick, simple four question survey. And all it's going to do is just ask you different things about domestic infant adoption and then where you are in the process. So it's very fast, maybe two minutes to take, to take that survey. And it's at infantadoptionguide.com forward slash survey. So it's really easy to get to. I'll have the link in the show notes for this episode. So I really would appreciate if you go in there and help me out and to whether it's going to help you out because I'm creating uh, some projects that will uh, hopefully do some real good for you to shave off a bunch of time uh, on your domestic infant adoption journey. So thank you for doing that. Okay. So today is the interview with Jody Dyer. She is here to talk about her book, The Eye of Adoption, The True Story of My Turbulent Wait for a Baby. I love that title, first of all. Turbulent Wait for a Baby is so true. If you've already started the process, you've realized it, and maybe you've read some stories or heard some stories that sound pretty turbulent. And uh, they're not all turbulent, but some of them are, and hers uh, certainly was. Um, She takes it through from infertility all the way through adopting their little baby and beyond that even. So the book I think is just fabulous. It's a great domestic infant adoption story that I know you'll love to read. In fact, uh, Jody and I even teamed up to give you a book, a book giveaway just for you. She has signed two copies of her book that we will be giving away. So listen to the interview. I'll explain how the book giveaway works at the, uh, after the interview. I know kind of a teaser, right? Sorry about that. But uh, we'll have it also on the uh, website on this post that for this podcast. So look for that as well at infantadoptionguide.com forward slash nine. So let's just get into the interview with Jody Dyer. Okay, everyone. Today I am so happy to have Jody Dyer here to share with you her domestic infant adoption story. She recently wrote the book, The Eye of Adoption, The True Story of My Turbulent Wait for a Baby. And Jody is not only an author, but she's a school teacher and more importantly, a mother of two children, one biological and one adopted. She and her husband, Jeff, who was also, Jeff was also adopted, went through the gauntlet to, to get a second child for their family. The, the book, The Eye of Adoption, is all about their journey from infertility to building their family through domestic infant adoption. So welcome, Jody, to the Infant Adoption Guide podcast. Thank you. It's great to be here. Thank you for agreeing to do this because I really enjoyed the book and I read it in like two days when I finally had time to sit down and read it. It just was, it captivated me. It got my attention and just, I, I kept my nose in it for two days or straight, maybe even less than that. I, 
and I've already put my five star review up there on Amazon because I think it's it's a very good book worth worth reading. I mean, no matter where you are in the adoption process, anybody should be reading that, and and because you really do share your heart and a lot of detail of everything you go through in the story, and it's just an amazing story. And I, I thank you for for writing it and for agreeing to come on here and share uh, with all of our listeners um, all about the book. Well, I appreciate that, Tim. And I wrote the book specifically for your listeners. My my target audience is waiting and adoptive parents because I think that waiting parents need all the help they can get. They need real, raw, honest descriptions of how how the, the story unfolds. And when I was going through the process and waiting... I met several um, adoptive families, and even though I knew that my story wouldn't play out just like theirs, I knew that it would have elements of each of their stories, and so I felt compelled to to give back. I know that's cliche, but when you're touched by something as momentous and immeasurable spiritually as adoption, um, most of us, like you, feel compelled to, to help other people, and so that's why I wrote the book. Plus, it's funny, and I feel like Waiting parents are, like you said, in the gauntlet. It's tough. It's it's a hard process, and so you need to laugh, too. Absolutely. You give a lot of humor. I mean, I found myself laughing out loud several times. when My, my wife just was sitting in the room with me, and she's like, wow, that really must be a funny book. <laughs> and I said, I hear, well. I actually hear that a lot. Like, uh, <laughs> people will write me, which I love to get feedback from readers, and they'll say, okay, I cried, and I laughed, and I did both at the same time. And as a writer, that's a huge compliment because it's hard to evoke emotion on paper um, and humor. Humor is the hardest thing to write. So basically what I did was I just wrote as though I was speaking to yeah. the reader. So it's a real easy read. I mean, and a lot of people have said what you said, that it, they read it in a couple of days. And actually my principal, I'm a school teacher, my principal said, okay, I read it in six hours. <laughs> so... I, I know the title can seem a little ominous because the process is. Yes. But I, I encourage people to just take a chance and read it because they'll find out, wow, I feel like I'm talking to Jody. And that was my goal, to be a friend to people who've adopted or who are going through it or who were adopted or maybe are birth parents. Yeah, I agree. I, I really feel like, I mean, after reading that book, you feel like you really do know you as a person mm-hmm. because the way you do write it though so that was you did an excellent job there and a few things that i really loved about the book was the quotes that you give and the bible verses uh, at the beginning of your mm-hmm. chapters and i i thought they were all very well right on target for each chapter that you chose them for but i guess if i had that to choose fun, intimidating yeah, process, i, I bet it was you. to dig them all up and that all was that. neat because it had to be <laughs> meaningful to me and uh-huh. some of those um you know i gathered along they, they were meaningful to me throughout that eight years because, of course, I did do six years of the infertility nightmare and denial and wasted money and lots of learning. But also, some of those relate to my older son, Houston, especially the quote from The Sandlot, which is one of our favorite movies. Mm. So that was a really neat process. Yeah, my, my favorite one, I think, was Margaret Thatcher. She said, uh, I'm extraordinarily patient, provided that I get my own way in the end. <laughs> and that's exactly yeah, how my wife and I felt when we went through our first adoptions. I mean, that's exactly how you feel. Even through your infertility, I'm sure you feel that way. Yes, absolutely. Well, and I would say that adoptive parents are a unique breed. I mean, we have to be resourceful. Um, we have to, we're basically paper pregnant for an undetermined amount of time. And so we have to be willful and determined to see the whole process through and I'm sure there are folks out there who just hang it up just like forget I'm not I'm not this I can't do this but um you can't run out of steam and so I thought that yeah I thought that was a good one too yeah the the two other things that I think really make this book stand out I mean it's going to stand out anyway because it's your own voice your own adoption story but a couple things that are unique that I really liked was the fact that you include these little letters that you wrote to your future child mm-hmm. it's like you're as you were journaling them you wrote to to your future child um right. obviously that wasn't with you yet but those were awesome little uh spots that put along your journey in the book and i think those are incredible to read 
And the other thing is, at the end of the book, when you, I don't know, maybe I shouldn't spoil this. Well, it's not a spoiler. It's a reason why okay. to read the book. At the end of the book, you do an interview with Carrie, the birth mother mm-hmm. of your son, and that is a, an awesome account of the true meaning of open adoption. I mean, mm-hmm. you guys have that relationship, and you can tell through your interview what the relationship is like and how it came to be, and she gives some really insightful answers on on everything you've asked her about that is, wasn't exactly included in your story in the book. You fill in the details with all her answers. I thought that was really cool. Right, and uh, my editor really helped me pare that down because I literally sat down with Carrie with uh, a tape recorder and cassette tape. I'm not as high tech as you are. And uh, really, we sat on her little porch and I interviewed her. And some of the questions she wrote, I mean, we talked about it at first and I said, let's just interview, let's just talk. Because sometimes, I mean, I can explain and explain and explain, but I think um, the tone of the book is raw, honest, and real. And so I felt like if people could, it's, it's a way for you to talk to a birth mother, in a sense, through me. And I know that most of us don't really know a lot of birth mothers. We may, we may not know we know them. And so that was privileged access to somebody who's made that decision and seen it through and who is, she's articulate which helps. She's really bright, and she is very willing to help other people. She speaks for she speaks at our adoption agency from time to time, and they, and they just love her. But she um, she was happy to do that, and I was appreciative that she was willing to expose all, all her information. We did edit a lot of things out that maybe our, our child wouldn't necessarily want shared. We were real careful there, but I think the main thing that waiting parents want to know is how that birth mother's thinking, what she's dealing with on her on her end, and how they can communicate with her. Very true, very true. A lot of a lot of good stuff there, and I'm glad you added that in, in the book, and and that you were careful not to divulge so much information that your son. I mean, that's his story, so that's good that right. you edited some of that out so he can mm-hmm. he can keep that uh, as personal for him. So we talked about how you or why you wrote the book, and I, I think I want to. What I wanted to find out from you is, when you wrote in the book, you said, "Looking back, I think doubters were grappling with their own biases and worries on our behalf, and they did not want us to suffer, especially your your biological son, Houston." But mm-hmm. then you say, "But suffering is a prerequisite to adopting," which I think is absolutely hard truth. How long did you mm-hmm. think about adoption before you jumped in and decided to do it? Well, my husband, like you, you said to the to listeners, was adopted in 1963. And so, and I do have older adopted relatives. I mean, they're my husband's age or older. So we weren't, uh, we weren't averse to the, the process or the concept. We just ignorantly felt like it was out of reach. I didn't know. The only people I knew socially who'd adopted had done so a decade or more before. And so I just, and, and all the things that I saw on TV were about international adoption because I guess that's just more exotic or interesting or, you know, there's travel and stuff. There, it makes for a better TV show. I don't know. And so we were never against adoption, but having had a child biologically and never having, I really had no problems during that pregnancy. I got pregnant after about a year of trying off and on, you know, just normal life. And then um, I had to take some progesterone supplements, which weren't too great, but that was it. So I just kept thinking I would get pregnant. And I did know, I was not so ignorant as not to understand that adoption is expensive and it takes a long time. And all my knowledge came from what I knew from other people, which and those were all international adoptions. And I knew that we couldn't afford it, honestly. I did do research into that. And so we just kept trying and trying and trying. And then that's expensive. So there's no way we could embark on adoption and infertility treatments at the same time. So I would pay down some treatment being done, and then we'd talk about it and try again. And so we had one week where it became 
crystal clear what the choice had to be. Um, and I write about it in the book in great detail, and it was heartbreaking, but we went to uh, the fertility doctor, and all I wanted to do was say, okay, my next step would have been in vitro. And I really wasn't comfortable with it because of my physical condition and, and some other things. I had friends who'd done it, and, and I don't I don't judge. I think if that's the way to get a baby, you know, I just, any way you want to build your family, I think it's fine. Um, but it wasn't a safe bet for me financially or physically. So I just wanted the doctor to confirm that. Like I wanted somebody with the pedigree, with the education and the pedigree to say, you're right, Jody, move forward, move on to adoption. But instead it was a humiliating experience at the doctor's office and it had to do with money and it was just awful, awful, awful. I cried all the way home and my husband said, that's it, no more. We're mm. we're adopting. But you just don't know. I mean, you flounder. A lot of people who go through infertility, they flounder for a while because you keep getting false hope through, ooh, well, maybe this will work. Maybe that will work. It's trial and error, and it takes and it takes month, uh, one month at a time. And so it can drag out. Um, but my husband was all on board, so to speak, for adoption the whole time, conceptually. We just felt like, we just didn't know we could afford it, and we just didn't. We were just ignorant about the modern process. Yep, yep. that's interesting because because in the book um, you you said a question that I despised was, "Is Jeff really on board with this adoption thing?" Can you? I mean, I guess that falls right into that. I mean, he he was really on board at the beginning. So, is that why you despised the question because they were presuming that he wasn't? Well, it's funny because. I mean, we women, when we decide we want a baby, we're, we're kind of hard to stop. <laughs> and so I understand that people might think, are you sure Jeff wants to go through all that and it's expensive and all this? But it was offensive for, for three reasons. Um, one, he was adopted. So it's like you're questioning the concept itself, like, yeah, adoption, really? And then another thing was the phrase I didn't like was on board because why wouldn't he be on board for a, another child? Mm. I mean, it's not like we're saying, does he really want to buy a boat? Are you sure that's a good <laughs> investment? Okay, this is a child. This is an eternal relationship. It's a sibling for Houston. Why would you question anyone? I mean, nobody questions people who just add another child via a pregnancy. Are you sure your husband really? I would never ask them, are you sure he really wants that third child with him? <laughs> You're pregnant. I think that's a good idea. And also... um, when they say this adoption thing, thing trivializes the process. And we all know that there's nothing trivial about it. It's Even true. putting your thumb in ink, you're thinking, geez, I hope this thumbprint takes, I do not want to do this twice. This will be another $80. <laughs> I hope somebody, I hope they do this, this stranger who's holding my hand and pressing it on whatever does it right. I mean, everything is crucial. Everything is crucial. So there's nothing thing, small thing about adoption. So I just felt like it was, um, and I, I mean, I was highly sensitive because part of the time I was doped up on progesterone and Clomid and every other thing. Mm-hmm. And, and I was worn out and stressed about money and because we're just regular middle-class wage earners. I mean, he's a salesman. I'm a school teacher. I mean, so we were just, I was a little raw. So, but yeah, that, that question was tough. And all Jeff's response was, and I'd say, somebody else asked me that today, he'd say, just tell him I'm adopted. Of course not. It's my idea. He kept saying, it's my idea. That (laughs) cuts to the chase right there. Hey, I'm adopted. Mm -hmm. Why wouldn't I want to adopt? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Good point. Well, when you started your journey then, what kind of research did you do? I mean, I know you, 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 you found out you wanted to do domestic infant adoption and in your book Mm -hmm. you say you chose it because it was affordable and because you were really better suited to negotiate like you say negotiate with uh, American birth parents than with a foreign government which is (laughs) uh, it rings true with me too and Mm -hmm. when you go on to talk a little bit more about why you chose domestic infant adoption but what research did you do or how did you get to that point well, I reached out to my friend, Kiki, is her nickname, and she adopted two children, domestic infant adoption, um, 
and they were like the older one was in high school and the younger one was in middle school at the time. So I knew it was different, and I thought, well, she's the only person I know who's domestic, who's done domestic adoption. So I I called her and she said, I'm going to send you some things, and I actually quote a little note verbatim what she wrote back to me with this package she sent me, and she said, Jody, I said I just don't think we can afford it. I don't know what it involves. I mean, I keep being told I need to go to China or Russia, and there's just no way that we can do that. And I just, and so she said, okay, which, which you can do that. <laughs> People can do that. I just wasn't, I just didn't have the, I get frustrated with processes. And also I'd, Guatemala had just shut down, I think. And then, so I kept hearing things. I was like, if I throw $20,000 toward Russia, and then they decide they're going to freeze American Russian adoption then I'm out that money and I won't ever get another baby. So my, a lot of my choices came down to lack of funds and just being a normal, regular person. But anyway, so Kiki sent me a list of all these agencies around here, around East Tennessee, and um, an article about her family and how they kind of went through it. So that was probably the first adoption story I read. And she said, Chody, you can do it. It's not as expensive as you think. It's tough and it takes time but you can absolutely do it. So she just kind of gave me the nod. And so I just went down the list and called different places. Like I called Catholic Charities. I called um, the DCS uh, system here, the um, foster care Mm -hmm. system and all that, and um, all these different things. And and then I just, I read as much as I could find at the library. I didn't have a computer at home. I know that sounds so backwards. I didn't. And at the time, and uh, so I would go to the library and get books. They were usually old and, and dated. Like I very rarely found anything about open adoption. And then um, it was always about Russia or China. And so her her list was where I started, and I just kind of went down through there. And I would talk to all these people, and you know, with infertility. Two, it's good to reach out and talk to people because they can give you ideas and help or just say, hey, I've been there, I know. And so that opened my eyes to this whole industry or this whole community of adoption. And when I got to Bethany Christian Services, um, I called, and they're right down the street from my house. So I thought, wow, that's convenient. And I talked to Mark Akers, and he was so patient. I mean, he talked to me for 45 minutes, and I'm sure he's had that same conversation a thousand times, and he he never rushed me. He answered every question. He was so kind, and he invited me to an information meeting where I learned about all the different types of adoption, including embryo. And so I, that meeting and that awful doctor's appointment happened in the same week. Oh, wow. And I left one feeling like hell, excuse mm-hmm. my language, and one feeling hope. And so that made it clear to me, and I was excited. So that's how we kind of came around to domestic infant adoption um, for lots of reasons. And what I tell people who now reach out to me and say, how do, you, how do I know what to do? How do I know what to do? Because actually one of my very, very best friends just got home last night from China with a little boy. Hmm. And I'm hoping I get to meet him today. So, oh, cool. Um, yeah, yeah. It's great. So um, anyway, so... Basically, I say, think about what you have resource-wise. And that means financial, spiritual, religious. You know, do you have a church family who can help you? Do they help pay for it? I mean, some churches do little uh, scholarships and things for adoptive families. Uh, how's your family going to treat a child? How's your community going to treat a child from a, with, of a different race, and a different ethnicity, a different culture? You know, where, when your child goes to school, you know, I mean, just think about all the resources you have and match those resources to the type of adoption that, that suits you. I don't think you can go wrong. I just think you have to kind of figure out what you can handle. If that, I hope that makes sense. Yeah, I totally agree with you there. Uh, and it's interesting how Bethany was so close to you. <clears throat> I mean, some people really value the fact that there's an agency real close to them. And in our case, our our agency was halfway across the country. So it, it, it wow. is different ways for different folks. That is for sure. And, and especially with uh, domestic infant adoption. So 
That's pretty mm-hmm. cool how your friend was able to help you like that because it really helps um, the trust factor and and ultimately give give you the hope, like you said. I mean, that's what we're all looking for, and we're trying to build a family right. is hope. How can we do well, this? Well, and I think, Tim, that your website is great. I mean, I, now I reach out to the adoption community on sites like yours, uh, Creating the Family, on Adoptive Family Circle, mostly to talk about um, either to offer help or to ask about open adoption, because that's where I am now. And so it's great to have that online community. It, it has no borders, and it's, it's wonderful. It's a gr- those are great resources. Well, thank you. Yeah, I, I, mm-hmm. I hope folks do reach out that way if they're interested at all in adoption, because learning from folks that have been there and finding the right resources is huge in trying to build your family. So mm-hmm. I think it's very important to, to do that. And I wish we would have had as, as many resources that are out there right now. So mm-hmm. um, what, speaking of which, I guess now that you've been through the process and all that, what is there a resource that you wish existed back then that would have helped you? Or is that kind of what you're just talking about there, creating a family and, and my website that if you would have known about them, you probably would have went there and looked for help. Well, I would have been more educated a lot sooner. I basically got all my training or my enlightenment, if you want to call it that, through Bethany, mm-hmm. which and they were great. My social worker, I mean, I dedicated to to him. So he was wonderful, and those classes, the monthly group meetings I went to were great. But, yeah, like Adoptive Family Circles, like that's a great place where you can read stories. Your website where you can read stories, and when your when your book comes out, that's it's great. I've already read all of it; it's awesome, and uh, that's just a place to explore and think and reflect and examine and prepare yourself for whatever could happen. And one of the neat things about adoption is you just don't know how your story is going to unfold. It's mysterious. It's a little bit magical. It's stressful, but it's a it's a it's a privilege. This is I'll say this all the time, but it's a privilege glimpse of how families are created, and it's a spiritual experience. But resources like your website, um, IG, Creating a Family, Adoptive Family Circle, Bethany's website, um, also something that would have been a great resource for me would have been cash. (laughs) So (laughs) when people say, how can I help my friend, my sister, I say, write a check. (laughs) Um, Because it's, you know, you're not doing, you can't get maternity insurance when you're adult. Um, also, books like mine and yours when it comes out and others like um, From Pain to Parenthood. I don't know if you know Deanna Kaler. Uh, let's see. Patty Lazarus' book is good. Hers is Marching to My Heart. But if nothing else, you may get ideas, but you'll also find camaraderie with these writers who tell their stories, and they tell them pretty well. And so you're like, gosh, I'm not alone. And I just, there weren't that many books out there that was as honest as ours. Uh, Debbie Michael Barrow is another one, and she writes about being called to adopt. She didn't have the fertility issues, and her book, she goes to Russia. But I have a beautiful book. It's called But the Greatest Disease is Love. And so just that you've got a community. People have a community of, of adoption memoir writers. They need to tap into that because you can get a vision of what kind of experiences and emotions you'll have and some ideas. And also you just feel like you have some friends who've been there. And it's private. You don't, you know, you can read a book in the privacy of your home. You can explore Adoptive Family Circle or IEG somewhat anonymously. And so you're not having to always wear your friends out yeah. you know, locally. So there, that's, that's something that I did not have. And it's one of the reasons I wrote the book is because I wanted somebody to just tell me this colloquial, but I wanted somebody to tell me flat out what it's like. And so that's what I did. I just yes, tell did. Like yes, that you book. did. I, I related very much. And I mean, we've been through the process twice now and I, I related mm-hmm. through both of our journeys. Exact, you know, not exactly everything you went through, but a lot of mm-hmm. it resonated. So that was, that uh, yeah you wrote it very well because it did resonate with me. And I think that's what really captivated me throughout reading the book. So, um, well, you, you had briefly touched on this, your adoption budget, you know, funding and what it, how much it costs. And, uh, did you, 
exceed your budget then? Or did you even have a budget when you started out? You kind of knew what it was going to cost you? Somebody told me um, years and years before who she had adopted from Russia. And I just met her at a party or something, and I said, wow, I bet that's costly because I think just to go to Russia would cost a fortune. And she said, you know what, Jody, if it's right, the money shows up. <laughs> and I really and truly... <laughs> financially operated on faith um and i made i just took the steps forward and often the money did show up we we got a line of credit my mother secured a line of credit because she could get a lower rate and then we paid the payment and we still pay a little bit on it um in some ways it was less expensive because um our fee schedule was based on our income and luckily or unluckily however you want to put it we had a couple of bad years my husband was on commission back then. He was a realtor. This all happened in the middle of the recession, by the way. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, so we had like two or three bad years. And all the agencies do fee structuring differently. And some have the pass-through costs where you absorb some caretaking issues and, and all different things. So I encourage waiting parents who are just choosing an agency to really um, talk to the agency and find out how all that's going to work. So there aren't any surprises because the money will show up if it's right. I have total confidence in that but you don't want that added stress do you want to try to manage your stress um we did have to pay and i i just was dumb about this we did have to pay to have to finalize the adoption and i completely forgot about that and that was going to be i don't know a couple thousand dollars and but our friend our dear friend warren did it for us he's an attorney he's like let me do that for you wow so, and you know, it's funny, and I didn't know this until I told my mother and all that. She said, you know what? One of our friends was an attorney, and he did Jeff's adoption for us. Wow. Yes. So sometimes people could do things, you know, a group of friends could go in and say, instead of a bunch of baby blankets and, and diapers and all that, why don't you let us all contribute towards your adoption finalization fee? You know, there are things that people can do. So... It didn't cost. I, we were we were definitely under twenty thousand, um, and part of the reason. I mean, we probably didn't spend more than fifteen, and now I know it, it gets more and more each year. One reason was because uh, Carrie was in my town. I mean, she lived in Knoxville, so I didn't have the travel expenses. Yeah, that's huge. Yeah. Yes. Well, I mean, I know you you went through that, and and I know that uh, several others I've read about it. That's that's a costly. I mean, my older son, Houston, plays travel baseball, and that just about kills us. I can't imagine, you know, spending weeks in Colorado, right. you know, for example. So I think one thing, you just have to operate as though the money will show up and just pray and have faith and get creative. Yep, don't let it stop. I would tell people, don't, they're like, I can't afford it. Do not. I don't care. I, you, if I owed a million dollars right now, I would not flinch when I hold that baby. I don't care. I mean, I, and I even called money a carnal concept in the book because I felt like it was an obstacle or it delayed things, but it was just definitely in you know, the grand scheme of life. I don't care. Yeah. Teachers yeah. aren't motivated by money. <laughs> no, no. At the end of your yeah. at the end of your life, you're not going to be worried about no, how much money you had. You're going to be you're going to be remembering all the times that that you held that little baby in your hands. And... That's right. And Houston, I have a brother for it. Yeah. So that's what's important. So I wouldn't let money stop people. And there are some ways to to offset that. And I've learned those now. I'm, I didn't didn't know about them like fundraising and. All kinds of things. So now what I do is I support other people as I can, you know, $20 here, $20 there, buy a T-shirt, help them with the bake sale, whatever it is. There are all kinds of ways to to raise money. And sometimes companies, their human resources offices, have uh, adoption things that they do for their staff. So people need to do a little investigating. That's just part of being the resourceful adoptive parent. It's work. Yeah, and I do have some some blog posts on my site about adoption fundraising and some creative ways to do it and some books that will help you um, mm-hmm. figure that out as well. So I encourage the folks to go and check that out. Well, mm-hmm. how long did it take for you to 
get matched? I mean, I know you've had a couple different um, failed matches that you talk about in the book. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, our our failed matches were not as um, tough as of some many I've heard about because we never met the birth parents. Basically, they were just huge letdowns. But um, when we we were approved, officially approved, home study approved, ready to go, May 21st of 2009. And, um, and I'd heard little glimmers of babies out there and, you know, have those hints and that happens to everybody because if you're smart, you're telling everybody you know that you're looking to adopt. So, um, but the real deal came in January when we met Carrie. And we met her January, I think it was January 20th or somewhere around the end of January. So from May 2009 to January, we were just kind of in in a fog, in the wait. And then we met her. Now, we met her early in the pregnancy compared to most. From, From what I understand, she was, let's say January so she was five months pregnant. That was a long time. Four months is a long time. Yeah. You know, the first mother ahead yep. of the birth. Which, so you waited about eight, nine months to get yeah. matched from when you were totally mm-hmm. ready, the home study approved and everything. So mm-hmm. that's that's pretty good. I don't know. Some of I the so. averages uh, you, you'll see out there could be 12 to 24 months or, or even a little bit more. So that's mm-hmm. that's pretty good that you... Um, only had to wait that long, and you're able to find and connect with the birth mother in your hometown. That's that's amazing. Right, and our agencies really, I, I credit them for that because they really reach out. And actually, she came from Pennsylvania, so she reached out to Bethany up there, and then she moved back down here to help, to get help from her mother. And so Beth, you know, I can't say enough good things about them, at least the offices we dealt with. Um yeah, that, that wait, that was a short wait. But I, look, I know I have a friend named Kelly who turned her paperwork in, and I, I think I put this in the book. I mean, the next day, on two different occasions, both her children, she got, they were chosen the day after their paperwork, I mean, the day after their home study was approved. Oh, wow. I... Both, both times. I know, and I know families now, you know, after all these, all this time and going to Bethany and in that waiting families group and everything. I mean, sometimes it was a turnaround of, um, you know, a few months. One family waited several years. I don't, I don't know particularly why. I just know that, um, you just never know. And sometimes people switch gears, like they leave an agency or they start out international and then they change to domestic. So, uh, waiting parents need to think, okay, that if the average is two years, that may be, you know, people who switch agencies, you just never know what's in those statistics. That is true. Because most yeah. of the people, I mean, 90% of the people I know have waited much less than two years. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and waiting is a relative term, right? I mean, I, we can <laughs> sit back after the fact and go, oh, yeah, you only waited eight, nine months. That was not... But when you're going through that eight, nine months, you don't know when the end yeah. is coming. All you know is right. every day is just long and painful and another day that you don't have a baby. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I, it's hard. It's it's easy to sit here and say it wasn't that long. But I know and mm-hmm. you know from experience, it's tough. And, and you, when mm-hmm. you're in the book, you talk about the Suffer Club and yeah. uh, how that uh, how that helped you through the wait or, or what that meant to you in waiting. Can you explain what the Suffer Club is and what that meant for you? Well, at our agency, every month, they have a waiting family support group meeting. And the the, the families who come, it's just the adults, the, the parents, the waiting parents, they're anywhere in the process. Um, they could be applying. Like, I went for a year because it took us forever to do our paperwork um and those are some good anecdotal stories about my husband in the book but anyway so there are people who are just starting the process just learning or there are people who have been approved and have been waiting for a year two years who knows or people who and people who've had failed matches so it's just a mix of suffering (laughs) but also very supportive and the social workers would lead the group, and they would 
explain things to us, answer questions. There was usually a topic uh, for conversation, and often um, they would have successful adoptive parents come, which gave us great hope and great stories to just kind of lean on. We always prayed in these meetings, but they weren't overly religious. It was just a great support and educational process the whole time. I mean, I went to those for two years because we started the process as far as we picked up the application in 2008. And it took me, Jeff and me, a year to finish all of our paperwork, partly because Houston was so busy, he played travel baseball, and because we just did things as the money came, you know, little steps along the way. And, you know, we had to get three physicals. We had to make appointments and wait for the doctor to be able to see us. And so we just didn't let it overtake our lives like we did in the infertility process. And we just kind of did things as the money came. But so that that waiting families group was a great place to talk things out with people who completely understood. Yeah. And, and you can, I mean, that was so great that you had that. And uh, we didn't mm-hmm. have a local group like that, but we did have our online group like that. And they mm-hmm. helped us as good as we can. I, I know having a face-to-face would probably be a lot different, but having our Facebook groups and other things that we've had was also just a huge help because, like you said, those folks either have been through what you've been or they're starting it or going through it with you. So mm-hmm. uh, nobody else can understand what you're going through and why you're going through it, except other people mm-hmm. that are doing it too. So, well, it's, it's, it can be isolating because you don't want to clue your, you don't necessarily want to tell your friends about every decision you make because then you often have to justify decisions. So oh. if you say, well, we said um, we would take a baby up to two years old. Okay, fine, which we did. Well, then, if I tell some friends about, like, awesome, some friends may say, are you sure you want an 18-month-old? What if he has issues? Okay, so then you're tasked tasked with validating your reasoning and and all that, and you don't want to get in a situation of having to explain research. Like, that group is also educated by the social workers or by their own research. So they, they were like, yeah, I know. I know, I get that. I get the same questions, and you can kind of just kind of be there for each other. And something that our agency did, which was remarkably helpful, was uh, Mark had birth mothers come to those meetings. Wow! Yeah, and we could ask them anything. Yeah, that's which, powerful. It was eerie, eerie, because we're. Like, I told the one one girl, Rachel was her name, and I, she said, "Why didn't anybody ask questions?" And I think this is in the book too. And I said, "You're the Holy Grail. You're <laughs> <laughs> all." I mean, we want. To meet somebody like you who will give us a child and we're just kind of stunned that you're willing to to open up and we're just we're scared and we're sad and we're desperate and we're hopeful you know and we're just like there's one <laughs> so she was really sweet and really good to talk to the waiting parents yeah that's that's a great uh, experience and something i'm sure that helped you out a lot when you're talking mm-hmm. with with carrie and mm-hmm. and and working on your relationship with her um, mm-hmm. when you, I, I, we talked about leading up to this point, I guess, when you finally were matched with Carrie and you had that four month wait, uh, when you were matched with her, can you talk about what it was like when you first met your baby boy? He was born and you first met him. You first got to hold him. Can you explain what it was like for you? Well, of course, I wanted to honestly grab him and run head for the pines, as I say <laughs> in the south, with my baby. And I, I immediately loved him without question, without hesitation. And I had loved him for eight years. Um, I hadn't met him, <laughs> but I'd loved him mm-hmm. in spirit, just like a pregnant person loves her own unborn child. And... As someone who did have a biological child, I could compare the two, and I can tell you that it was the same. I was just pregnant for a long time on that one. So I loved him, and then I felt immediate fear that Terry, when she saw him and once her family saw him, and they they were pulling in the other direction. They really wanted her to keep him, and I understood that and respected that, and I was terrified. Carrie was solid. 
but she had not met him yet. So I was terrified once I saw him. Um, I just looked at him, and I felt like we had this conversation. He was down the hall, rolling away from me. And those are some of the, my favorite pages in the book because you can I think you can really see what's happening. I hope I wrote it that way. It was intense. But they rolled out of the operating room, and they're rolling down the hall, and I look down there, and I see him, and he's obviously weak and brand new. And I just feel like we have... We are powerless. The two of us are powerless. Mm. But wow, did I love that child immediately and intensely. And, of course, I just wanted to grab him and go. And I was not in the cards. I had another another few days to get it out. Yeah, that is a, an amazing part of the book. You're right. Uh, just when you meet that child for the first time, I mean, all that yeah. waiting and everything is like a crescendo there. and it's it's a big deal it's and it's crazy it's it, crazy it's, yeah. it's magical and you know i i compare it to houston's birth houston's birth i was worried about you know us being healthy and him and nothing going wrong and him arriving safely without you know any problems and once he was there today i was like oh he's so sweet and i loved him and it was wonderful and it was a beautiful experience it was not as profound as adoption hmm. Um, I think just because of all the work and all the prayer and all the um, emotional expense involved in adoption, I just don't think, I think it's incomparable. I mean, I, I'm saying that as someone who's done both. And also there's so much more at risk emotionally, and I just, it was unreal. And I was part of it, too, as a mother of Houston, and, you know, this is as an, already having that one child, you're not just thinking about you, you're thinking about, your entire family and what's at stake. So I immediately thought about Houston, like, what if she changes her mind? He's going to be devastated, which is another reason we didn't tell him until the, almost the last minute, because we just didn't want to make that, drag that out for him. But when Carrie, um, finally I got to meet Scotty, she she handed him to me and she said, here's your son. Wow. And it was unbelievable, just un- indescribable. I don't know. I hope I did a fair job of explaining it in the book. I'm not sure it's possible. No, yeah, you did. You did a great job explaining it, and it's an amazing open adoption relationship you with that you have mm-hmm. with her. And I think folks can get a real good idea of what an open adoption is like. And now you have maybe a little bit more of a open adoption than the quote unquote average because. Yeah. She lives in your hometown. You you had that interaction with her throughout the mm-hmm. match and then even especially after placement. But mm-hmm. can you just talk, I mean, a briefly, I don't know if you can talk briefly about it, but <laughs> just give <laughs> us a sense about what your open adoption relationship is like with Carrie. Okay. Well, um, I explained in the book as she consoled me leading up to Scotty's birth. I could I could measure the risk by just talking to her, and I would just I took some bold steps, but I would say, "Are you sure about this?" I mean, I looked for her to comfort me, and so I felt it was only fair that I comfort her um, as she grieved. And I really think that all we we went to lunch a lot and things like that. I really think that that is what cemented the deal, and also made us both so comfortable in the hospital. The hospital experience was tough. I'm not gonna lie, I mean it was it was pretty crazy and time drug. But or dragged, I don't know. Anyway, but but our relationship is what saw me through. I felt most at peace when I was with her because we two were the ones that mainly involved. And then my husband was just he was he was just like the hero. He was so comforting to Carrie. It was it was remarkable to watch that relationship. But um but afterward, I just felt like I should be a friend to her. And, you know, people will say, are you like her sister, her big sister, her aunt, her what? You know, and I'll say, no, she's really Scotty's birth mother. And it's a unique relationship. And we're completely honest with each other. And I do set boundaries. Um, but I'm very kind and respectful. And they're the same way. Like, her family's never been anything but respectful toward us. It's a little nerve-wracking sometimes, 
because it's such an emotional situation. But she, we genuinely care for each other, love each other. We're not, we're not buddy buddy hang out all the time. But if something interesting happens or he does something funny, I'll text her, um, or she'll call me every now and then and tell me about news. I mean, I probably see her anywhere from three to six times a year face to face. Yeah, most it, of our relationships over the phone or text. Which is interesting since she's, uh, I presume she's she's still living in the same town as you are, right? Oh yeah, she's right. I mean, she's ten minutes away, so, so she's busy. I mean, she works yeah. and she has a boyfriend, and um, and then I'm busy. And I, I'm, where I'm cautious is I don't set a precedent. Like if it's Christmas time, we'll go over there at some point, but we don't go right around Christmas mm-hmm. um, because I don't want to over obligate Scotty. He's three, and he, you know, he. I don't know how he'll feel. And we talk about that in the interview Terry and I do in the book. So we don't. We try not to. We love, we both love him, which makes it real easy. But we basically try not to over obligate him to her or her family. And we don't want to set them up for disappointment, if that makes sense. Like if they saw him for the first five years, every Christmas, every birthday, every Easter, whatever, and then when he's 12, he's like, I don't really want to go over there. I don't want to hurt their feelings. Right. So we just, we get along, and, you know, there are times when she'll say, I really want to see him, I miss him, whatever. And I'll say, you know what, Carrie, I'm sorry. It's the first two weeks of school. And we had this conversation. I said, let me get the school year started and get Houston in school um, and get everybody situated. And then and then I'll call you to let me know what your work schedule is. And then I, sometimes I just meet her at a restaurant and we just have supper. And how does he... And ours is open, Tim. Like yeah. I tell readers who are starting out in the process, I don't know about open adoption. Mine is on the far end. It's... it's I would call it wide open, just because of my personality and Carrie's, which are very much alike, and the fact that we are in the same town. I mean, he was, Scotty was born at St. Mary's Hospital, and so were a bunch of my little cousins. So it's like, it's local, she's a, she's around, so I might see her at the mall. So I think our situation just kind of evolved that way naturally, but it's not hard. I mean, it's, it's hard sometimes, I'm not going to lie, but it's not... It's not, um, I don't feel like dread or over-obligation. I'm definitely not co-parenting or anything like that. She just loves Scotty. That's it. Yeah, it's, that's a really, a a great way to explain open adoptions is right there Mm -hmm. is that it is just a relationship that is being built over time and Mm -hmm. you don't have to uh, be overwhelmed when you're first starting like oh my goodness how am I going to do an open adoption here this is crazy uh, I don't want to yeah. co-parent and all those other terms that come out with it listening to a story like yeah. yours should give us hope that open adoption is a possibility and it doesn't have to be completely open I mean she's living in the same hometown as you are and you still need to see her three three five times or whatever it is a year so it's not like Right. You're you're going over there every other day or, or anything like that. So that's that should no, give us a lot of like, hope. I mean, you know, when when he starts playing, let's say he plays sport, you know, that'll be a decision we have to make. And it, I'll probably ask him. And then this is where adoptive parents have a lot more to think about. If he has a baseball game, and I asked my husband Jeff, I said. You know, well, how would you feel about carrying her family coming to Scotty's ball game? Like Houston plays sports. Would you? Would it bother you if they came? And he said, I don't care if they want to come see him, come see him. Now, see, as a woman, I sit and stress and fret over something that may or may never happen for two days, and then I ask him, and his answer is, sure. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, sometimes <laughs> it's just funny how people how people navigate things, even in the same household. So it didn't bother him at all. So. Probably what I would do is say, Scotty, would, would you like for Carrie and her family to come to your ball game? And if he said, okay, then I'd tell him. There you go. You know? So it's just, it's not, don't be intimidated by it. And just readers need to know that mine is extremely open. And theirs can be whatever they determine it to be. And as the adoptive parent, as the parent, you call the shots, period. If, and I've told Carrie this, and I mean, she, she's a great person, but... If there, there are people in her family who make bad decisions. They're not allowed to be around Scotty. It would not be wise of me to expose him to certain things, period. Whether it's in my family, 
you know, my workplace, anywhere. So when you're a parent, you're a parent, period. So you make the decisions that are healthiest for your child. Yeah, very good point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, what looking back, um, now that you've been through that process, is there any thing, one thing or two things that you would have done differently? Well, um, gosh, in hindsight, I wish I had quit the fertility stuff years earlier. Hmm. Um, maybe I'd have two more, you know, maybe I would have ha- been able to adopt another child <laughs> in addition to Scotty. Um I wouldn't want anybody other than Scotty. Um, but I wish I hadn't put myself through all that. I wish I'd gone the adoption route sooner. I wish I'd talked to my friend who'd adopted sooner and educated myself a little a little more so that I weren't, weren't so hesitant about adoption. Um, gosh, let's see. I'm trying to think. I would have reached out two online communities like yours sooner if I'd, if I'd known about them. You know, I wish I had known about them. Um, I wouldn't have put on my paperwork that I only wanted a girl. I write about that in the book that I was determined to have a daughter. God had other plans for you, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I, went, I put girl down and then I wish that I had just kind of gotten out of my own way a lot sooner. But then again, I also had to grieve that loss because I'll never have a daughter. And I still want one, okay? <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I wish that I'd handled rude or insensitive questions a little better. <laughs> Sometimes I would snap at people. <laughs> and most of the time I didn't, but I kind of wish I'd been a little, a little yeah. more mature through the process. No, may I can relate to that. Not sure. Well, what if, if you could have... Right now, as you sit and you've been through the process, if you could wave a magic wand and make something in the process better, what would it be? Well, obviously, I wish it were less expensive. Yeah. Just overall, domestic, international, whatever. And I also, I mean, I don't know about this, but it seems like it would be easier if, and you probably, you can speak more to this than I, but. If the interstate, like between state adoptions, could be simpler, like if the laws were just the same across the board. Yeah, there'd be less um, messing around from state to state laws. That's true. Yeah, I mean, like all the lawyers and the legal stuff is just so stressful, and they're just extra hurdles when, I don't know, or you could just go by your home state's laws, period. I don't know. I mean, that's a whole other ballgame, but I just think that, I think there needs to be consistent. The process could be more consistent, so as to help both both sides of the situation. Um, because in some states, the birth parents go through go through. You know what? I mean, they have thirty days in some states to, you know, finally relinquish rights, and in some states, twenty four hours. I mean, I just think there needs to be, I don't know, maybe some research to figure out which is best and and make it more consistent because. You know, as working with Bethany, I could have gotten a baby from anywhere in the U.S. Just like I think most adoption agents, you know, they're not going to say you're only going to get a baby from Alabama. Um, so some of them look nationwide. Well, then you've got all that questionable, all those different outcomes that can happen, and you're having to sort through that in your mind and prepare for it financially, and it could be a nightmare. So I think some of that could be simplified. That would be wonderful. Um, also, I don't know about... Nebraska, but like in Tennessee, once the baby's in the home, he has to be in the home six months before you can finalize adoption. Yes, we're that way too. Yeah, I just felt like that's ridiculous. Yeah. Haven't I, haven't I proven enough there in the state of Tennessee? <laughs> I mean, you already said legally that I was approved to adopt in the state of Tennessee. Yes. Why the six months? Yeah. And plus, if someone who's already a mother... I mean, you're mothering the child. You're like, who are you to tell me that this isn't my baby? <laughs> you know, come on. You know, and it's expensive. That's expensive. Why? Um, I think some of the laws are, are antiquated and need to be revamped. Also, yeah. this is something that that I thought a lot about. Um, I think that hospital staff need to be educated on adoption situations, on how to handle it, how to accommodate the adoptive parents, 
and what to say and what not to say. And I think every hospital maternity ward needs an adoptive room, like an adoptive parent room, reserved for that family. That's not a hospital bed. That's a regular bed, maybe with a wet bar. That's what I need. <laughs> but, you know, I just think it's that the adoptive parents need to be shown some love and respect and, and care because it's, it's tough. It's tough. It's emotional. I mean, I, I write in the book a lot about my hospital experience. And you could, and and you know, some in some cases I was treated really well. In other cases, I was just like looked at like an alien. Certainly felt like one. And so I think that nurses and doctors who are in dealing with uh, crisis pregnancy and adoptive situations need education. Very, very good point. I, after we've been through mm-hmm. the hospitals. Uh, experience twice I would totally agree with that there's some uh, staff members that are really great and others that maybe have never experienced adoption before and they don't have no idea how to treat you or how to talk to you and they say dumb things so I think that's right. a, that would or be they may huge just, you know, they, may have, they may have personal experience with adoption abortion crisis pregnancy who knows and, but they need not interject they just need to take care of business and be kind. I mean, that, yeah. that would be... I wrote a letter to our staff because in the book I write about the Food City baby. Um, and um, that that particular situation was coming around. That baby was due three months after Scotty and was going to be born in the same place as Scotty. And I wrote a lengthy letter to the staff and basically told them what they did right and what they did wrong and how they could help that family. Absolutely. I, Perhaps I should publish that. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe send it to some training, hospital training. There you go. That's a great idea. Oh, you could mm-hmm. start the start the movement across the country to have some That's training right. for hospital staff. Yes. Every hospital needs some place for adoptive parents yeah. to be and feel comfortable. Well, I very much appreciate you coming on and sharing your story. It is very powerful. I recommend everybody that hears this to go grab your book. And where can they get your book? Well, they can they can go to my website, and I have links there to Amazon. Um, and because if they want to read a little bit more about me and the book, and read some reviews, and and see some other things I've done, like my blog. Um, and some other articles are on there too, uh, but that website is www.jodydyer.com, and on the blogs and other articles tab, um, I list um, blog posts for my humor blog, but at the very bottom, I link to articles I've written for adoption websites and different um, media, and so those are some really neat um, neat little articles I'm really proud of that, that were written strictly to help people who are going through or have been through the process. And one that pertains to open adoption is Nature versus Nurture No More, Marvel at the Mix. That's one that folks who are thinking about open adoption might want to look at or who, who have been through it. Um, but that's, you can go to the website or, or it's just, you can just go to Amazon.com, the Eye of Adoption, just put that in the search box, and it's on Kindle too. Awesome. Yeah, and when you're on Amazon, after you get done reading it, go back and get, give your five-star review because I know it will be a five-star review after you get oh, done reading you. it. So, Absolutely. And you'll see some other books down there that say customers who bought this, also bought. And I just think that it, it's an education. Um, it's a, it's a, an enlightening process. And the more you read, the more prepared you'll be when, when it's your turn. Absolutely, I agree. And on your on your website, I'd be great if you would uh, link to this interview too. I'll give you those links and you can put okay. them on your website so people can Absolutely. access the interview from there even. That'd be great. Okay. Well, thanks so much, Jody. I, I appreciate all your time and uh, your, your honesty, everything that you've poured into your story. It's just, it is really is a, is a great read and I recommend everybody Thank getting you. it and uh, devouring it because uh, it's, it's, it's worth your time. Well, thank you. I appreciate it, Jody. If, uh, if, if anybody has any more questions or, uh, want to contact her, go to her website and check it, check her That's out. Right. And my email address is on there too. So they're more than welcome to email me. And Tim, thanks for what you're doing because I think domestic infant adoption is a unique 
fascinating, tough, beautiful process. And, and like other adoptive parents, you're reaching out to help people. And, and on behalf of all them, I thank you for what you're doing. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you so much. All right, Jody. We'll talk to you again soon then. Take care now. Okay. Thank okay. you. Yep. Bye-bye. Wow, that was fun talking with Jody. She has such a heart for adoption and for her family, doesn't she? I really love her story. I hope you enjoyed that interview, and I really encourage you to head over to Amazon.com and and get her book and write a really good review because I I have no doubt that you will enjoy the book. You won't be disappointed. Um, I on the show notes for this web for this podcast, uh, InfantAdoptionGuide.com forward slash nine. There's a way you can read my review that I wrote and also find it on Amazon there. You can go and buy it. And uh, actually, you could even preview the book on Amazon. So I highly encourage you to do that. Okay, let's talk book giveaway. At the beginning of this episode, I talked about uh, that Jody had signed two books to give away. She was kind enough to send them to me. So I have them ready to give to you to win. And here's what you need to do to win one. Just go to the show notes for this episode, infiniteoptionguide.com forward slash nine, and you will see the post for this interview. In that post, if you scroll down just a little bit, there'll be a box, a place for you to enter the giveaway. All the details are there of how you can enter. There's multiple ways to enter, and uh, we will have just a limited time that this will be open, so at the end of the giveaway, I will randomly select two people to get books and I will email you to let you know who won and uh, I will also put in the either I'm going to put them in the comments for the show notes or I might just put a new blog post up to let everybody know who won so you know it's an actual giveaway and somebody actually won so if you uh, go over to the show notes for the for this uh, podcast episode you'll be able to get in there and get a chance to win one of these books so I encourage you to do that also If you wouldn't mind heading over to iTunes and leaving an honest review uh, for this show, I think it really does make a difference within iTunes about how many people can actually see the show. It's It's a great way for more ears to hear what's going on and hear all the interviews to help them guide them through their infant adoption journey so if you would go and leave an honest review i'd really would appreciate it and i thank you for listening i really enjoyed doing this for you guys and we'll talk to you again on the next episode god bless you